All right. Okay, should we get should this. we get this show on the road? I'll just do a fade in. We don't need an intro. <laughs> that's, that's the intro. <laughs> Welcome to the Troublesome Terps Christmas Aganza, which is as organized as we are right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone. Welcome this to the, the holiday spirit we all have here. I, I am T-Total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said the guy with the beer in the glass. <laughs> you can't see it, but we can. But we can. So, so there's a running joke that whenever I go to, a conf- to an interpreting conference, I tell people I'm a Scotsman and I'm teetotal, and people say to me, "Do you exist?" Well, I think you do. I think we can all confirm that you do exist. I heard the other day that Adele is now a teetotaler, which is confusing because then two weeks later, I saw her on a YouTube video discussing her new album about the song "I Drink Wine," drinking lots of wine. You can get alcohol-free wine. So I must, yeah, I must negotiate, I must uh, investigate this further. (laughs) I saw a quote from Hemingway today that said, the only regret I have in life is that I didn't drink more wine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sounds very I also got this incredible, um, I always have this handy right by my laptop, as you can see. It's a uh, quote by Lily Bollinger. I drink champagne when I'm happy and when I'm sad. Sometimes I drink it when I'm alone. When I have company, I consider it obligatory. I trifle with it when I'm not hungry and drink it when I am. Otherwise, I never touch it, unless I'm thirsty. <laughs> I love it. I love this. These are all great quotes to go on like gravestones, I think. I would love the wine. For sure. On the, the, and today's health advice is brought to, brought to you by the Troubles and Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Alex G, are you wearing a jumper, like a hoodie that says interpreter? Oh yeah! Wait, this is—I got this like this forever is ago. Mandatory clothes for every recording. It says in, "interpreter" because "badass miracle worker" is not an official job title. Nice, you nerd. <laughs> also, it fits better on the on the. Says the card. chick with the with the poofy hat that says hey, "lovely." I'm very hipster hey, over it here. It is actually lovely. You're nerdy. Yeah, yeah, yes. you are. You, you look a little bit like uh, where's Waldo? Yeah, I <laughs> I like, have actually a, uh, like, a striped. Cool t-shirt just like with the red and white here and then with my glasses i look exactly like waldo that is super cool yeah. this is troublesome terps mystery theater audio <laughs> radio. <laughs> <laughs> can we fade in the x-file sound and we'll just do the whole show in a creaky radio voice yes <laughs> i love it so Back in January 20, what were we, 2021. This is the year in view episode, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> in, case, in case you hadn't realized. Back in January, I have lost my place. We had the elf on the shelf, which is weird because that should have been a Christmas episode of being elf on the shelf. It was the belated um, Christmas episode for the year right. before, maybe. It because it was probably recorded shipping. in mid-December or something like that. Yes. Or maybe not. Who knows? What is time anyway? Yeah, I feel like January 2021, when was that even? Five years ago? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? And, and it was it was the three, it was Alex, Alex and me talking about <laughs> three English stooges. as a lingua franca. See, I think we got Sarah to, to help us be more normal. Mm, that did work. we know? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, no one has ever said such insulting <laughs> things to me, Jonathan. <laughs> I have a fake feeling that I got insulted there without being aware. <laughs> no, no. But no. We, had, we had an incredible breadth of guests this year, but we started off the year with a show that was just the three troublesome terps. Loud? No, that doesn't even work. The Alex, <laughs> Alex and me. And I th- Did we not come to the conclusion that English as a lingua franca wasn't as big a deal as it's made out to be and actually certainly i've seen it seems like there's more interpreting assignments around nowadays than there used to be i don't know if there's the same volume of interpreting in terms of hours but certainly any fears that would be replaced by everyone speaking uh, brussels english seems to or globish seem to have been misplaced yeah i also I read an article yeah go ahead go ahead alex no, Alex, you go ahead. No, I'll cut this out. You go ahead. <laughs> so I 
read this article yesterday saying that um, English is even going away as the global e-commerce language because now it's all about localized and regionalized content. So then in Europe, it's going to be like all the individual country languages that are going to be more important. And yeah, so who knows? But then also like it didn't really impact anything. Like all this time, and we've talked about English as a lingua franca a lot, even since the beginning of the of the podcast. And I don't really feel like anything has changed. Well, <laughs> neither one way or nor the other. Our honestly research speaking. at NIMSI shows, yeah, we looked into the buying behaviors of uh, online uh, consumers, that uh, nine out of 10 global users will ignore your product or service if it's not in their native language. See, there you go. That's a big figure. But that, does that influence our work? You know, like I, I agree to these trends and, and it totally tracks with the article that I read yesterday. I mean, not that the article supersedes what you're doing because it's actual research. Um, but I feel like does like whether I see Amazon in German or in English, does that really influence the interpreting market too much? Well, I think directly, I would say no, but I think it indicates the same trend or like a proof of, you know, the English as a lingua franca is, I mean... Yeah, we all sort of speak English, but do we really speak English well enough? It indicates the same trend. Or if we're interpreting from, I've heard from a lot of people also, um, if you're at a conference and there's no interpreting, well, then you don't really allow for a proper debate, right? Um, it's usually the English native speakers then that are leading the debate because they can, they feel confident, they understand everything, and they also have the ability to express themselves properly in their language, whereas the other ones in the audience uh, they might understand what's going on, but they might not be as confident in expressing themselves or, you know, um, don't express themselves well. So then you end up with a very one-sided debate. And so I think, uh, and what we've seen as well, especially in the last year, or years now, I have to say almost <laughs> since the pandemic, um, is that uh, there's so, so many more requests for um, interpreting from also clients who never used interpreting services before. And that have suddenly seen uh, the value and also the need for interpreting services, uh, which I found quite interesting. I think also we have kidded ourselves for so long that interpreting is always about the fact of people needing it. Uh, going back to the research of a certain Jonathan Downey 2016 PhD thesis, one of the things I found in my PhD is that there's such a thing as symbolic interpreting where interpreting exists because of politics or because it's symbolically nice, and certainly I've done interpreting jobs in the not-so-recent past where it was obvious the interpreting wasn't really needed for language barriers, it was needed because that was the astute thing to have, or because the regulations said such and such a meeting will be interpreted. And so I think in as much as there's such a thing as symbolic interpreting, and I think anyone who's done certainly conference interpreting knows that there's such a thing as symbolic interpreting where we're basically nice suits in a booth, or nowadays nice pyjamas at home. Um, for as long as that exists, English as a lingua franca isn't an issue. And so I think it's we're having to gain a better understanding of the fact that interpreting isn't there for the same reason at every assignment. Some assignments is there because there's a an actual language need. Sometimes it's there because it's politically astute. Sometimes it's there because of something else. You said that until it's, that's the way, um, it's not an issue that English is a lingua franca. Well, my question to, G to you, Jonathan, is uh, why would it even be an issue if it was a lingua franca? Well, so my point is that if symbolic interpreting didn't exist, then it would be easier to argue that English is a lingua franca as a threat to interpreting. Because if interpreting is all about language barriers and everyone speaks lingua franca English, on some level there is no language barrier. But if interpreting is there sometimes because of language barriers and sometimes because it looks nice or regulation X says it has to be there, it doesn't matter if everyone speaks English. In fact, you might be in a meeting where everyone does speak English and they're still interpreting. It's certainly not unknown in the literature and not unknown in practice. And so I think we've often seen, I'm writing a paper at the moment where we've often seen interpreting as always about language access and the truth is that's not always true hmm. That's yeah. true but at the same time uh, definitely from what I've come across there's been like I, maybe that's one trend and on the other hand there's a trend from the less traditional uh, clients, yeah, the ones I haven't used before who are realizing that uh, language access is important and especially also um Accessibility and inclusivity as well. Uh, inclusivity, is that a word? Inclusiveness? Inclusion. 
inclusion is nice i like that one okay um <laughs> yeah so either way that um see i could use an interpreter right now um <laughs> But I've also found what Sarah, what Sarah, what you were just saying, I've also found that during the pandemic, because all the teams were broken up and everybody was working in the home office, there were a lot more digital town halls mm, or all exactly. hands meetings or whatever they are called. And we actually got brought on to a lot of those because the teams were international because now they could be because you can hire people in Spain, you can hire people in wherever. And then... Obviously, in my case, they were mostly German companies. They held the meeting in German, and then we interpreted it into English. Or they held the meeting in English to make sure that everybody heard the CEO speak, and then we interpreted it into German for the German audience. So I feel like it's, it is about, for me, what I saw in the pandemic so far was a lot about the, the, the accessibility. Hmm. And not necessarily accessibility in the sense that people don't know what's going on because obviously they work at the company, but I think it's just to make them feel included. So inclusion yeah. also. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think kind of the two don't negate each other. I think you have both. Mm -hmm. And I think on the what for in terms of English as a lingua franca, I think knowing that symbolic interpreting exists is enough to tell us that English as a lingua franca is not going to wipe out interpreting. But on the other hand, I think there's a, reali a realisation probably that lingua franca English isn't always enough for a meeting to work. I like what you said, Sarah, about, you know, if it's all in English, you're actually reducing the chance for people to have an input. And mm. I think that, that that is a big deal. I actually, I talked to um, an enterprise um, client, uh, or, well, not our client, but uh, someone who buys interpreting services recently. Um, they told me they used to always have like a few, um, like five or six on-site events, you know, with their company in the different locations across the, the globe. But when the pandemic hit, you know, that wasn't possible. So then they tried RSI for the first time and decided to just make a one big uh, online event. And of course, you know, it cost some money to do the RSI, but in the end they said it was really worth it for them because I, they just did one event instead of five. And then they got a lot more participation from run, uh, some of the different regions in the world than ever before because for the on-site events they had no interpreting and to them that they, they could really see the benefits there's more people signed up than ever before um, and there was a lot more actual engagement and debate happening because of interpreting so they were overwhelmed with that um, like positively overwhelmed <laughs> I mean um, and uh, yeah they said then they're going to keep it up even um, post-pandemic of course also to have some on-site events but for the really large ones to do it virtually so that everyone can join and um, debate together mm. yeah i had a similar thing as well yeah i was going to say it makes a big difference and i know that interpreters have spent the last two years arguing over rsi standards and that's an important debate but the reality is Actually, RSI has been a godsend, not just for interpreters, but also for the sector itself, mm -hmm. in that, as the RSI people told us would happen, it has opened up new events. And so I think where we do need to be careful of standards and noise and stuff, we also need to realise that there's a whole new market for interpreting that didn't exist two years ago, and it would be silly to be grumping when suddenly there's more interpreting than there ever was before. Yeah, but, you know, when you just said, like, the RSI people told us, let's take that with a grain of salt, because they told us, yeah, there's going to be so many jobs, and you're going to be able to do all of those things. And while that's true, A, it's not always the best interpreting work, and B, they've not only made more jobs happen, they've also taken old jobs that I had previously and made them a lot shittier. So it's not all, you know, gold that glitters. Um, but but I, I just wanted to say one thing before we move on to, to maybe the next episode. I don't know if anybody else wanted to say anything. But um, I just saw this video the other day about the new German foreign minister and how she got shamed for her English. And I listened to the video and it sounded perfectly acceptable. Like it wasn't... If she was my interpreter, I wouldn't love it. But, you know, for somebody speaking English, it was perfectly understandable. She might have had a German accent, but then guess what? So she's, you know, she's German. So I think when it comes to... English as a lingua franca, what we should also do is stop language shaming or yeah. stop accent shaming. Because I think, I feel like especially in Germany, we're really bad at this. Um, but also, I feel like in Europe in general, there's sort of like this accent thing. I don't really know what to call it. It's, it's weird. So let's stop that. I completely agree. I, I think sometimes because, well... 
In my experience as a German also, um, one of the three Germans on this podcast, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you often get, uh, well, the world, I think the world loves to make fun of our accent and says that our language sounds fucking ugly, uh, which I disagree with. But um, so, and I think we Germans have a tendency to like chime into that and go like, yeah, you know, and then we're trying to have like the best possible accent in English, at least to not get shamed more for our ugly German accent, you know? And yeah, I also think not just for the Germans now, but like for any language. Yeah, that's accent shaming people. Accents are wonderful. You know, they tell you where someone comes from and like so much about their culture in their own language and in another language. And also exactly. when someone has an accent, it shows you that they're very brave. Exactly, because they speak a foreign language. What about you? Do you speak a foreign language? Do you? So Probably you most people who listen to this do because they are interpreters. But yeah. Well, yeah, yes, that is a fair <laughs> point. Oh, guys, I didn't care what you're on about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually on that note of accents in English as a lingua franca, we just kept it moving and went to the UK. So, Jonathan, why don't you just take it from there? Sweet, sweet transition. <laughs> Good segue, <laughs> right? Segue. That, that, that was like segue. segue. Do, 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 do. Do you know, we, we didn't have a, an award this year for segue of the year, possibly because it ran out of battery. But, you know, ah. if you want to nominate your troublesome term segue of the year, feel free if you have that depth of knowledge of the whole year's worth of episodes. Fantastic. <coughs> so the UK special, I thought we had um, Paul Appleyard and we had Kirsty Hymel Morgan on. And I think it was really good because the UK, apart from London, often isn't a traditional interpreting market. It can be a little bit of the Wild West at times and... There's a lot of differences, but it was good to have an episode on the UK to help people understand. Actually, the UK probably isn't even one market. And actually, can I say something a bit crazy that Sarah might disagree with? I think the growth of remote interpreting is basically flattening out the idea of interpreting markets, geographically anyway. So... Explain yourself. In terms of remote... Yeah, in terms of remote <laughs> Explain interpreting... Explain yourself. <laughs> for example, in terms of remote interpreting, my remote interpreting projects have all been within, quote-unquote, the North America market. Mm-hmm. It's just how it's happened. Whereas you get something like COP26 in Glasgow, where I happen to know that a fair proportion of the interpreters weren't from the UK. Some were, some weren't. And so I think because it's not the ideal where, you know, you can log on and get a an interpreting assignment whenever you want and but remote interpreting has flattened this idea of geographies mm -hmm. out. I think it was Alex G on an earlier episode talked about, you know, remote interpreting and professional domiciles and their ongoing relevance. And I think while we're beginning to see in some places return to in person, Omicron dependent I think we have to realise that interpreting is not what it was three, four years ago and we might need new ways of thinking about the idea of something like a professional domicile or a market. I think um, for things like public service interpreting, yes, there are going to be national markets forever. For business and conference interpreting, yeah, it's debatable. Why would you think that I disagree with that? I definitely 100% agree with that. And I think, uh, and this is probably also controversial, I, I sometimes don't understand why we need to have the domicile thing in interpreting because like, n do other professions have this? Do translators have this? I don't think so. Like, why? what is the no, problem? But also the translators don't work on site. I know. We, and I know it's so the, the travel cost and all these things as well. Exactly, I, I get right. that, but still there can be other ways to work it out, no? I mean, there are other ways. There were other ways before Corona, right? Like yeah. there were different pricing models. There were other ways of, of doing it. So it's that's not the only way of doing it. But I think it just kind of created a a place where not everybody could just go all willy-nilly and kind of dabble in all the individual markets in the country. So it just kind of like, no, Sarah? So like the idea was, right, if I live in Munich, I can't just work in Berlin and basically undercut the Berlin people because my domicile is in Munich. So according to the actual rules, I would have to charge travel from Munich to Berlin, which I get, which I also find fair that if I want to work in Berlin, which is not my market, that I should not work as a local and basically take a pay cut um, to pay for my own accommodation and pay for my own travel. That, that makes a lot of sense to me because then what's the point of actually being a local? I think, though... To be honest, within a, a national thing, within a country like Germany, 
I don't know how much price differentiation you'll get between cities. I can see it more when you had the UK, which historically has underpaid conference interpreters, and UK interpreters saying, we'll go and work in France and we'll, we'll charge UK rates. That, I can see the domicile thing. But I think the reality is, I can see interpreting going towards, and it's the whole specialisation settings thing as well, I can see interpreting going towards uh, interpreters work with specific clients model. And in that case, the domicile is irrelevant because it's not like you're competing with a local. The client work is working with you. And that's it. Yeah, but again, nothing's and changed in that regard. That's always yeah, been exactly. the case. Like, if the client brings me to Berlin and pays for my stuff, that was never an issue ever before. Yeah, but in your examples, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, either technically, if, you know, if you're in Berlin, uh, in Munich, and you want to work in Berlin, then technically you actually charge more because of the, of course, the travel and accommodation, right? Right. But if you don't do that, then the only one who's losing out is you. You're not undercutting people. You're just working in the same... No, you are undercutting people in the sense that I'm taking a pay cut in order to pay for my accommodation and my travel. Yeah, so you get paid Effectively lowering my rate. So, exactly. So I'm basically kind of you know, ruining the market in that sense because then the client is still getting me without having to pay the premium of actually shipping me the, to the location. Yeah, but in the end, I when mean... When they could be booking people for the same price that they could be booking me for in Berlin. Sure, but I mean, you technically you get paid the same rate as the ones in Berlin is just what you do with it after, right? Like for the client, they don't know. It's the same rate. You're not lowering the rate. It's the same rate. It's, I'm not lowering the rate, but then if the client wants me from Munich to Berlin, the client should be paying more because it costs more for me to get to Berlin and work Yeah, but, but in my opinion, that's your problem and not the client's or the other interpreter's problem because no, the client pays the, the same problem. amount to you or the person in Berlin, you know? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But if they want me and I don't live in Berlin, they need to pay more. So it is the client's problem. Yeah, but if you don't charge them for travel, it's your choice that you pay that yourself. And that's the point about domicile, right? So if you don't work in your domicile, you should be charging for the travel. That's the whole point. I think that should be up to you as a freelancer. You know, that's my point as well. It is up to you. Like, it's totally up to you. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally up to everyone. But it's just a discussion about the domicile is that you should be charging it to make Mm -hmm. it fair for everybody else. Yeah, but I don't see how it's unfair, in my opinion. It's still, if I want to, in the end, get less out of it because you know i'm not ra- um, lowering the actual rate for the interpreting assignment when reciting to do is to not yeah. get the pay for the travel and the accommodation and then that's your problem you know but you're not char- changing the rate for hour or day or whatever in the market you know yeah it's true but then the client still gets more out of the euros they spend basically not really so they just have a wider pool of interpreters to work with that's all it is they don't get more out of it. They do get more out of it, though. No, they just have more interpreters to work with. They have. They so, can I? Can I feel I like it's so out? funny how Jonathan just has, like Jonathan just just speak. Don't even try to just go. <laughs> I was going to say, can I can I throw another into an iron into the fire here? Is that as a consultant interpreter, one of my biggest annoyances is when I ask interpreters for a price, and I now state in my emails, can I get the total price? Because most clients I've come across don't really care that you're paying X for travel and X for this. It's just how much do we have to write, do we have to pay in the final invoice? And the number of interpreters that I write to as a consultant and say, I need the total price. And so they send me, well, it's this per day, it's this per DM, it's this per... No, it's like, no, I don't care how you arrived at the price. Give me a figure. And I think per, for me, certainly in, in the UK market and for me when I do consulting, often we have these rules that may have been there for a good reason that make working with interpreters more awkward than it needs to be. So if a client says, can I get an all-in price? You give them a figure, and if they ask how how you come to it, you then give them the breakdown. If a client says, I need an all-in price, and you start quoting, it's this plus this times this. No, 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 just give give them the figure. Tell them how much the invoice is going to be. And I think it's where RSI has helped in the in the majority of cases, it has made pricing models simpler. We could argue that it's reduced prices, and it may well have done, but from my personal point of view as a consultant, interpreting was overdue a price model overhaul anyway to make working with interpreters more user-friendly for buyers. So this is just my thing as a consultant. If someone asks you for a price for your interpreting and they're wanting in the all-in price, give them one number. That's all they're asking for. You can give them the breakdown later if you need to, but they need that final number. They don't want to be sitting doing the maths that you could have done and just given them a number. Sorry, rant over. <laughs> I don't think anybody disagrees here. No, I agree. And for me, that was part of the point. You just said your rate and it does. It shouldn't matter where you 
work how much you get out of it in the end is your problem then you just of course you're coming in as competition in the market but just by being there not but you're not lowering rates is my point in that so yeah and that that was the uk episode believe it or not <laughs> but that is not at all what we talked about in the uk episode but it was still a really good episode um yeah with my dear friend Kirsty, it was a really good episode and that, that's given us a wonderful insight into how interpreters think Nice. That was Second a very good segue. Later, though, that was March. Believe it or not. Oh, that is very true. Oh my God. Okay, that is definitely a contender for a segue. For a segue that was my year. last episode before I went on paternity leave, and that was Kelly and Seabird. That's the last one I missed before coming back from maternity leave. <laughs> yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. Passing of the torch. I, I, that was one where, if I remember correctly, it was uh, Alex, the Alex, and me interviewing Killian and Alex Gansmeyer going, kind of just taking it all in for a lot of the episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I missed it, which is probably I the mean, reason it's one of, one of the best episodes of the year, I think, or maybe even... Well, yeah, yeah, it yeah. definitely Alex has like JD. some of the highest numbers, for sure. We've, we've had a really research-heavy year, and yet we've had a pretty good year for for downloads so that says that everyone loves research <laughs> QED. That's, correlation that's not t- does not co- <laughs> equal causation <laughs> well done alex <laughs> trust me in interpreting uh, studies even a correlation is enough to get you celebrated that is very true yeah i feel that but it was a really good episode and i mean uh, killian you know he's always a good time around uh, to have around but i think the episode it was basically just like Battle of the Titans, just like you and him, and I was just very much in the background, <laughs> just giggling every now and again and saying, "Oh, I love it." Your thumbs. <laughs> just, just admiring what's going on. <gasps> yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, what is this even?" Yeah, what language I, uh, are they speaking? That sounds like a comp. That sounds like what I like to call a complinsult. <laughs> it's like a compliment wrapped <laughs> in know, Not too far off. <laughs> but clear- so, clearly, it was very accessible because it's one of the best episodes we've had in terms of download numbers. So. You know, I, I was joking with someone recently about uh, there should be a, a competition for the world's best doubtful compliments. Oh, that would be fun. I would love that. <laughs> yes, I, I was once told uh, I thought you're you're much more interesting than I thought you would be. Wow! Talk about a compliment. <laughs> Backhanded compliment. <laughs> a masterclass. Yeah. So I like to call a doubtful compliment. <laughs> uh, so I missed the next like. Four episodes, I think. Oh, the next one, the April yeah, one, was, was actually one, one of my favorite yeah. ones. That was really cool. I wasn't even there, but it uh, was that a was, fun one. Yeah. Again, I mean, I guess correlation, there, causation, you know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was the I Can Show You the World of Interpreting, where we had people from, oh, God. Everywhere, no, basically. T- tons, of, tons of countries. Yeah, the whole yeah. world just sending Everywhere. us videos, sending us uh, clips from every single country and just reporting a bit on their individual interpreting markets, on, you know, how COVID's been. And I thought that was super fascinating because we all know a lot about the markets that we dabble in, you know, obviously our home market and then kind of the markets yeah. that we work with. But I don't know. You know, Vietnam, Japan, uh, African countries, South American countries. I have no idea about that. That was super interesting. I really liked that a lot. That was really cool. And thank you very much again to all the people who sent some stuff. Plus, in. we did some awesome segues. And we had some awesome segues. Also, just, just on this episode, I'm wondering how many people got the uh, the movie reference in the title. I don't know. We I didn't, can show you. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of feedback on that one. I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, I, well, I, get that, about it. I get that reference because I was all doe-eyed when that came out and wanting to sing that yes. to someone. I still don't yeah. get it. Because have it's you the, really? it's the theme song from? Have you ever seen Aladdin? The Aladdin yeah. movie. Aladdin. It's like it's called. But I can I, show you the okay, world. Okay, but when I watched Aladdin, I was a little kid, so I watched it in German. In my novels, things to. I know, um, in English, so I don't know. Yeah, but then also the new Aladdin came out and they did it again. And I didn't really watch good. that. The Will so. Smith one, yeah. Yeah, that was what, really what good. Go watch it. Yeah, I will German, watch it I and then I will sing with you. Yes, and then you'll be like, oh my God, the episode title is so clever. Brilliant. Alex and Alex. <laughs> Who came up with that? Yeah. Uh, you on Spotify, Troublesome Terps, the album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We oh, we should a do a Christmas yeah. album next year. <laughs> a whole new world. 
Oh, we're probably going to have to cut this. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, copyright, copyright strike waiting copyright. to happen. <laughs> but yeah, you can do like a couple of episodes, a couple of seconds. I guess. I think like as long as it's under three seconds, it doesn't copyright infringe. Anyways, yeah, we don't. That's a good. Uh, it's good. Uh, go, go watch the movie and then sing the song when you listen to our episode. Exactly. So or check out the soundtrack on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you use for listening. Yeah, to wherever maybe you should, listen to Troublesome Terps, you can probably also listen to the Aladdin soundtrack. That's right. We're also on Spotify. We should do a comedy like we all sing, uh, but it's a charity project. So the the more people donate, the less of our singing they actually have to hear. <laughs> well, but then it's kind of one of those things where people donate for us to stop singing, yeah. right? Yeah, we don't want that. That's, we that's we could do an improv, an improv yeah. thing. People yeah. stop us ah! to stop, uh, pay us to stop doing improv. Yeah, people, we must be stopped. <laughs> donate now. Exactly. Uh, speaking of singing, uh, I think Kate Hamilton actually does a lot of singing and music in her work. And she was that. Yeah. That was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. yeah. She was yeah. our guest on the May, hang on. Yeah, the May episode. Yes. Multilingual is normal. That was awesome. And we talked about the Babel Babies. And yeah, there was lots of linguistics goodies yeah, there for you, Yeah, totally hitting right? my nerd spot. And, ch- and children, <laughs> like language acquisition in children, that kind of thing. That was fantastic. That was she did sing. Yeah. Weren't they singing Norwegian kids songs? Yes. All sorts of songs, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, all sorts of um, songs in different languages. And you know, basically to surround kids with uh, different languages from very early age and to just more make it fun and normal to uh, hear and kind of sing, I guess, other um, languages. And yeah. I think that's a and music beautiful is a great way project. To, uh, to pick up a language. Yeah, yeah definitely. Exactly. That was fun. And too. also I just loved her energy. Yeah. She's, she, was, she was cool. Yeah, cable. And it was not her last appearance, that, a bit of foreshadowing. It was there. not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Do you know, I'm I'm just glad to hear the word normal related to troublesome terps because that's not something I hear a lot. It's not the first association <laughs> you might have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who wants to be normal anyways? Yeah, normal exactly. And, and then we have the episode that I was really sad to miss and that was <sighs> talking about the Clash of the Titans. That was amazing. Yes. Graham Turner and Henry Liu talking about whether AI will take over. Can I nominate that we have a redo? Didn't you even initiate that, JD? I initiated that and I had to miss it mm. because coming back after baby was extra hard this time. Uh, I, I, I'm I quite happy for a, a rematch so long as it's a three-way rematch because one of the four of us wrote a book on that subject and I can't remember which one of us that was. Oh, no idea. If you know, please send us an email. <laughs> no, if you know, buy the book. I have five kids. Please buy the books. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Link, oh, buy, buy three books, actually. Notes. Buy three of them. Three books. And it wasn't really a collab because uh, neither Graham nor Henry have a podcast. Or the, maybe they should. I don't know. Maybe they should have a podcast. Or a YouTube oh, yeah. Channel. I feel like Henry would be good. I totally got <laughs> schooled during that episode, um, especially by Graham. Really? Yeah, yeah, totally. We had like a, I think we had a very good discussion of like, I think this, yes, but I think this and ah, back and oh. forth. And it was really good. I learned a lot and I like a good uh, debate like that. <laughs> I probably got school too. I just didn't, I didn't notice. <laughs> school <laughs> in the best unaware. possible way. Like literally yeah. I learned something that was awesome. Just, just imagine that happening about once a month for four years and you have my PhD. Because <laughs> Graham was my senior PhD supervisor. But it, it means that when you get to your Viva and you have your two examiners, you're good. Yeah, you know I can imagine PC. that, to be honest. <laughs> it, it was, the, the problem is, is the when someone supervises your PhD, you start becoming like them. <laughs> and I find myself citing Graham on a regular basis. And yeah. I get that. I quote Renato all the time. He's my mentor. <laughs> Shout outs. Shout outs galore. <laughs> For, Box you know, Box as in editing my stuff. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there was interpreters became superheroes. And, you know, if we're going to confront the growth of AI, we have to assemble. Yeah. Which is funny because it was also the Another second movie Avengers, reference. The first Avengers reference for yeah. this year. Yes. But that was a cool episode, the one in July where we in- assembled the interpreters, where we had yeah, three we big assemble? interpreters and networks. <laughs> we yeah. assembled a ton of people. <laughs> so... <laughs> We assembled Louise Jarvis, we assembled, we assembled Monica Ott, and we also assembled Sibella van Halbock, 
yes, from the Congress, Congress token. token. And obviously Monica is from, from my network, Konferenz Dolmetscher Deutschland. So Calliope, Konferenz Dolmetscher Deutschland and Congress token meets the troublesome Terps or met the troublesome Terps. And we talked about why even bother doing um, interpreting networks? What's the, what's the benefit? What's, what is it good for? Yeah, exactly. Because we, do, of course, we do always do our research and and preparation before every episode. But it was interesting for me to see how different they all were in the end, like how differently they're set up, and that was that was great to see. And it was also cool because everybody had a different intent behind it. You know, like why did you do a network? Everybody had a different answer, and um, yeah. And they all said they learned from each other, which is nice. If you know. If guests can that also is benefit from an episode, <laughs> not just the hosts and the listeners. You know, if only one person learned something, we've done our job here. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, I already said I learned something, so we're done. Okay, yeah. thanks, people. We're That's done. a wrap. <laughs> wrap it up for 21. 21. <laughs> <laughs> 21, 21, you're jumping ahead of yourself now. So it's just the dishwasher. Fire alert. Because <laughs> we're just on fire. Brace, brace. No, I, I think the, one of the things that I have learned this year is that you're only as good as the colleagues who you trust. I've had projects that went really well this year and I've had a project that did not go as well and you suddenly realise that an awful lot of it comes down to who's in the team. And if you get the right people in the team, amazing things are possible. If there are issues within the team it seems like little things become hard. And so although I'm not on a formal interpreting network, I've, I now realise that having contact of interpreters who can deliver when you need them to deliver is incredibly valuable. And perhaps one of the most valuable things that interpreters have is their address book. <laughs> that is true. The Rolodex. That I was just going to say the Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a semi-organised Excel file. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no judgment there. Well, see, I I did a presentation. I've done it three times now in three different places. And if anyone wants me to do it again, I will do it on the importance of your support network as an interpreter. And so I mentioned that one thing that I find is irreplaceable is the colleague that you can turn to when you need someone to pull you out of a hole. That's mm -hmm. uh, oh, definitely the, the, the person that you can trust that, that I need someone who can deliver the person who can beat the end of the phone. And also, I also say every time you, you know, how like at school, um, there might be someone that the teacher would never let you sit next to because you would get up to mischief. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always make the point that as an adult, you need people that you really shouldn't sit uh, next to in a room people. because yeah. something's about to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so we have a podcast. So that's why we're having a podcast so who's the teacher then don't answer that. i think we all know <laughs> <laughs> moving right along to the <laughs> august episode which was really just a quick summer update but i i have very uh, distinct memories of that being a lot of fun to record because we had a long chat and then recorded a short little summer update which we published yeah. as the august episode <laughs> How long was it? Like five minutes? And I think it took us like almost an hour because we were chatting so much. Yeah, five minutes oh, yeah, and 58 five minutes seconds. And 58 so seconds. Well <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well prepared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. That's what we're well, known it's all, for. It's, so it's, it's all, all in the magic of the editing, right? That's, yeah, exactly. Uh, Thank you, There's Alex. a whole side of troublesome terps that most people never need to hear. Oh, that's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> the dark side. The, 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 chemistry, the chemistry of this show comes from the fact that we actually enjoy chatting to each other. The difficulty for Alex editing this show comes from the fact that we all enjoy chatting with each other. Fair. Very fair. Yeah. Right. The number 65 was another research episode. I think this was also your idea, Jonathan, wasn't it? <laughs> one of your favorite researchers. One of my favorite researchers was a researcher who I learned a lot from. The only researcher who I voluntarily went on a on a uh, eight-hour return train journey to go and see for an hour <laughs> because she was presenting in Manchester. I did four hours there. Train was delayed four hours back, and yeah, she she is one of my favourite researchers, and I think she she did a really good job on the show. It was one of these very smooth. Every I, I remember. Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned yeah, every Derek was a really <laughs> smooth, controlled recording from what I remember. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really, really good. It, it still got me thinking. 
I think I'm probably writing about that, about something to do with that at the moment, because someone assumed that professional interpreting always looks the same, and I'm like, no. So, mm. and no, no, what they, they assumed that interpreters always do exactly what the textbooks say we do. The truth is we don't. That's yeah. not true. <laughs> if you want to know yeah. more, listen to the so, full episode. <laughs> listen to the full episode, then you'll see why. I almost don't need to read the paper if you write that episode. <laughs> if you listen to that episode, you can't write an episode. <laughs> And then we had, and we were all talking about this earlier, three of us have an early Christmas present which is rather deep and wide, and that is the wonderful book ed- edited by It's a Police of Vectiselius and Mikhail Albo Macasa. What else could it be? I'm still waiting for my copy. <laughs> we had we had our very first troublesome terms, book club. Yes. That was a labour of love. A lot of... Uh... <laughs> You could say that again, yeah. <laughs> a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. Yeah. Not not evenly spread amongst the four troublesome terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of us spread a lot of tears, shed a lot of tears. Yeah. <laughs> and yet you pulled through, Alex. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, this, I don't think this comes as a surprise to anyone. Academic publishing is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the faint of heart. It's not so fun. Tell me about it. But it's prestigious. Yeah, um... But Elizabeth and Michaela did a great job, of course. They also did a great yeah, job. I mean, yeah. the book is pretty fantastic. I, I sent my mom a copy and she wanted to buy it. And then she saw the price tag and she was like, maybe maybe you just take a picture of your name. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can just, just do that. Who was um, that, your mom? But, uh, yeah, my mom. Okay. She, I mean, she works, she works at a bookstore. So I was like, yeah, maybe you'll get a oh. discount. But I think it's a bit it's much a for, her, for her to just have on her shelf, in, you know, given that I yeah. just co-wrote one of the chapters. Um, but my mom likes it, so that's good. Just pose with the book. <laughs> exactly. And it's a nice cover. <laughs> a framed picture. It is a very lovely cover. <laughs> but what is it, actually? I don't know. I just got a, a nice comment from a friend who said, I, I just love the cover. He has nothing to do with interpreting, but he really enjoys the cover. So there you go. That's good. The, this is giving me flashbacks to book cover conversations. <laughs> so <laughs> I suddenly realized that I was an adult when I was writing my first book. And I was having an in-depth email conversation with production on what the cover should look like, and suddenly I felt like a grown-up. <laughs> it's like, I, I I have design opinions. A man who struggles to draw a stick, man. Wait, this was for the first book? My first book, which came out in 2016. The brief for both of my books was, you must not let the book look like an academic book. Oh, the one with the fish jumping from yeah, fish the one fish with the fish jumping. That was, I think, design number five, and I also requested changes. To, there, there was a long conversation. There were a lot of designs for that book. Uh, the second one was a lot easier. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, but also, I mean, we should talk about the episode a lot more, talking about the production process of a of a, a handbook. And look, this time I actually said handbook rather than encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about the production process of a handbook is, I mean, oh it's God, incredible it's a, yeah. the amount of work that goes in. And like, it's almost like every word on the page needs checked and double checked and every bit of layout needs checked and double checked. And if you have a diagram or a picture. That's more checking, yeah. Yes, you, you need a cup of tea. You need a lot of cups of tea if you have diagrams. But it, it's just, that's what book production looks like. And I was really pleased. I saw an article recently that said book sales have gone up during the pandemic. So I was really pleased. Everyone wants physical books. So what that means is go out and buy the books. Our books. Yes. Which, whichever book has our names attached to it. And just any just book, really. Just buy any yeah, book. Yeah, any book, really. Really good book. And if you're a publisher with a fat advance... <laughs> Get in touch with Jonathan. <laughs> the November episode... I, If I'm honest, I looked at the brief of the November episode and went, if this works, it will be incredible. But then I realised that we had the organisational skills of Alex and Alex behind it. Aww. And it went incredibly smoothly. And Sarah's insightful comments were brilliant. And... It, it was it was really lovely to have so many podcasts. They had absolutely zero podcast rivalry. Yeah, it was really nice. I remember enjoying it. I don't remember making insightful comments, but it was very nice. <laughs> I remember you making making insightful comments and asking important questions. Yeah, I, I say so many things. You know, I can only remember half of them. Well, I mean, all of them I mean, are insightful. I mean, that's right, so, yeah. you know, Truth be told, yes. you you do a lot more broadcasting than we do these days with Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's also so, very true. Yeah. <gasps> 
Yeah, my New Year's resolution is to resurrect my, new ch- my YouTube channel next year. I, I'm actually working on a project for it, which will come out sometime in the new year. So, yeah. You've heard it here but, first. You know, yeah, you heard, look on the Inside Interpreting around January and on my website around January. It's going to be a multimedia project that I'm currently working on. You should check out live streaming as well, Jonathan. It's fun. Yeah, only if I can live stream with a baby on yeah, my you lap. Can. can live stream from the booth. <laughs> That's that would get you in serious. I wonder yeah. if there's a regulation about live streaming from the booth. <laughs> but yeah, so the w- one a couple of things that struck me about that episode. One, there was zero podcast rivalry, despite the fact we're all in the same. No one said this word space. We're space. Oh. all in the same interpreting space. The interpreting space. The interpreting space. <laughs> it's like the metaverse, but specifically for interpreters. It is the metaverse. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> Finally, somebody talks about the metaverse. <laughs> Finally, I was thinking Star Trek. I was thinking like Deep Space Nine. Did you hear? Did you by the by the way? Did you hear that Bill Gates said today that or yesterday that in three years' time all meetings will be taking place in the metaverse? So we'll also obviously be interpreting in the metaverse. Is that what that means? So interesting. What does that mean? The Discuss. metaverse is, is the most overhyped stuff since machine interpreting. It since is 5G. overhyped. It's probably going to look nothing like we <laughs> imagine it. Since Bitcoin. <laughs> like, it's no, all the, just... the metaverse has a use case. Not, it's better than Bitcoin in that sense. We're going to get so much email. Um, uh, <laughs> we said Bitcoin. But that's going to give us a lot of traffic. Dogecoin. Uh, what is it? The, the crazy monkey yacht party? party? What was it? 2023 <laughs> sees the launch of the troublesome Terps coin. 23? Crypto Terps. Living in the past. Coin. Crypto Terps. Yeah, man. January 2022. Trouble Oh, shoot. You should have that Mike trademarked Trump. very soon. Very, very now. Yeah. yeah. The Trouble Get the domain at least. <laughs> trouble at some point in the past couple of years, I had someone email me trying to convince me that all interpreting should be blockchain somehow. Yeah, right. I was like, Well, how? our brain is a blockchain. Nobody knows how it works. <laughs> it's a huge black box and somehow... I feel like I can't criticize blockchain too much because I don't know enough about it to really That's have That's not a reason not to criticize. I just know it's a Merkle stuff tree. about it, but certainly not enough to... Yeah. Yeah. I know it has a Merkel tree, and at every single conference that I interpreted about the blockchain, they always showed a picture of Angela Merkel. And then Why? sometimes she was a tree, sometimes she was holding a tree, sometimes she was in a tree, and then they were saying, and then it's about the Merkel tree, but I don't know what that actually means. <laughs> so so can, can I just say, blockchain has a lot in common with hiring an interpreter. It's supposed to be a super useful process, but it costs far too much energy. Mm. Mm. There's my kind of philosophical mic drop. I'm confused about that deep. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> and also, at some point, you need to prove that you've done some work. Oh, well, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, but So, one thing that I will say that I've learned this year is interpreting has had its debates, and we've had some Twitter discussions. Feuds. But on the other hand, that podcastival collab thing really <laughs> taught me that when you get down to the bottom of it the vast majority of interpreters are really nice people and really all want to help the profession and a lot of us i'm not a massive linguistics fan but a lot of interpreters cross over into the linguistics world as well and so it's really encouraging that a profession that is as old as interpreting probably the world's second oldest profession Oh. manages to adjust no matter what's happening. Third oldest, maybe. Wait, wait, and wait, 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 There wait. was prostitution. There was... Oh, shoot, wait. Hunter-gatherer, and then interpreter. <laughs> Hunter-gathering technically not profe- a profession because it's subsistence. Well, if you sell what you hunt. True. Or gather. But then... Uh. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> God, what is happening? Yeah, I gather that's that's true. <laughs> Are we on the hunt for some insight here? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, 
people, it's been a year. What we're trying to say here, it's been a year. It's been a long year. It's been why do I why do I feel like you said the same thing last year on the end of year episode? We have nothing good to say anymore. I mean, it's the same year. What else are we gonna say? I feel like it has been same as twenty twenty one exactly like long long year. Yeah, it's been twenty twenty all over again, just slightly different. Yeah, yeah. It's like when people turn. 30 and then for the rest of their life they're like 29 something you know like it's like a thing mm. you're like 30 would yeah. be 29 a 31 29 b <laughs> <Then, laughs> i haven't you know, that one yeah no you don't know this one this is what it's like it's 2020 b now or a i guess yeah Sorry. i've heard people say i'm 35 with nine years experience or something like that. <laughs> oh that's also charming yeah but so then basically, if once we hit 2030, then we can actually say, okay, now we're moving on into the real 2021. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair we just enough. skip a decade. I like it. We just skip a decade. I mean, who cares? No, I hope it's not going to take a decade. Also, I heard on the radio <laughs> that somebody was actually referring it to as the 20s. And I was like... No. I mean, I obviously know this is what we're living in. We're living in the 20s, but it seemed so glamorous yeah. <laughs> like your 20s right i like it <laughs> like, but i also wonder does like it insult the, roaring the real 20s <laughs> the original that's 20s. what i'm the thinking you know like they the roaring so 20s yeah. like cool fashion good we're music. the opposite of roaring 20s we're like we the are the opposite in. of that yeah we have not earned being called the 20s we're like the yet. antidote not to yet. that one yeah yes mm. something needs to happen we're not the roaring 20s we're, we're the, the boring possible 20s yeah the boring 20s but yeah, thank you everyone for oh, we still recording to this year. It, <laughs> it has Is been, this thing it on? Has been a, it has been a real pleasure to take you through this year, even though I've missed a portion of it as well. But I've noticed that we, we got some feedback recently about someone who discovered the podcast for the first time this year. You know, it, it's actually great fun to be able to do something that the interpreting community obviously enjoys. And whatever project you do in life, you, you get to a point where you plateau and you think, is this thing still working? And then you get good feedback and you realise, yes, it is. So we, we're we going to keep doing good stuff, I hope. <laughs> we're we're going to keep doing good stuff. I think interpreting has been through a lot in the past two years and it it'd be good to talk about the future a bit more and to, to be positive. I've been amazed at people's optimism. We've all struggled this year, but, you know, if, if we can make you laugh a bit and help you see the, the funny side of things, then we've done a good job. Amen to that. Amen. 